0: Lord in just a moment, but before we do that, we're going to take a moment to look to the Lord in prayer and seek his favor on the ministry of his word this evening. Dear Heavenly Father, we just sang about the very things on which we will ponder tonight, that as you look within and you hear what we say, that in both what's inner and what's outer, what's internal, what's external, uh, may be found pleasing in your sight in our lives. We seek your pardon when we are not. We pray, Lord, that even as you called us, Lord, to a pure desire to serve you, uh, that looking at this 10th commandment, that looking at your word in light of that word of yours in the 10th commandment, that we would seek to be more and more uh, the kind of people that wants to please your great name and not simply and merely and even disobediently please ourselves. May you accept our prayers and that your spirit may so work in us as we look to your word, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Luke chapter 12, we're going to read verses 13 to 34 there. Some again, some familiar verses there. Also there's a parable that we're going to be reading. Uh, As we hear about the call not to be anxious, but also we hear the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 34, page 1,108 in the Pew Bible. We're also looking again at the Heidelberg Catechism tonight. We're called as pastors uh, and churches to be spending ordinarily one of our services looking at confessional Confessions of Our Church, we look at the Heidelberg Catechism tonight again at Lord's Day 44 that's focused on the Tenth Commandment, also leads us into the uh, discussion of the Lord's Prayer, which will be taken up, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks. But before we get to the Lord's Day 44, let's read from the Word of God from Luke chapter 12, 13 to 34. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, how they neither toil or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. We thank the Lord for his word there, and we want to take a moment to respond to it, looking at Lord's Day 44, page 56 in the Blue Psalter Hymnals. Question 113 asks, What is God's will for us in the Tenth Commandment, that not even the slightest thought or desire, contrary to any one of God's commandments, should ever arise in my heart? Rather, with all my heart, I should always hate sin and take pleasure in whatever is right. But can those converted to God only obey these commandments perfectly? No, in this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of disobedience. Nevertheless, with all seriousness of purpose, they do begin to live according to all, not only some of God's commandments. Question 115 asks, No no one in this life can obey the Ten Commandments perfectly. Why, then, does God want them preached so pointedly? First, says the answer, so that the longer we live, the more we may come to know our sinfulness and the more eagerly look to Christ for forgiveness of sins and righteousness. And second, so that while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we reach our goal, perfection. May God's word be a true blessing to us again tonight as we uh, receive it in faith. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the boys and girls that are here maybe get a chance sometime to play catch with their parents or play catch with their siblings or their their friends, tossing a baseball around or football around or maybe passing a basketball or something around one to another. And when they're doing that, of course, uh, you boys and girls know how important it is for you to be ready to catch and to make sure that the other person's ready to catch when i used to play with my children too i had to make sure that i was looking at them making sure that they were ready uh, to receive my throw and i had to be ready too and if i for one reason or another wasn't looking and my kids threw the ball at me well i i could do something kind of strange when the ball came came close or or maybe it was too late for that and I might have that ball hit me in the head or something like that. You have to be careful when you're throwing the ball around. If you throw your ball to your father when he's not looking, he might end up with a bump on his head. Or if you throw a basketball to somebody right in the midsection, well, you better be ready, or your buddy better be ready to catch it, otherwise you might knock the wind out of him. But one way or another, you have to be ready, right? You have to be on your guard. You have to do that, it's in your best interest to be ready, because otherwise you're going to be in for trouble. And Jesus talks about that as well when he's talking about being what he calls covetous. Be on your guard, be ready when the temptation of coveting of bad desires, you see, comes your way. And why is that? Because your desires can run away from you. And if you're not ready for that temptation, they will. Your desires can get the best of you, and you need to be the master of your desires. They are not to be your master. And why is that? So like we talked about just already a moment ago, that all the more we might desire what God wants us to desire, what Jesus wants us to desire, what's best for us and what brings pleasure to the Lord. And we're going to be talking about that tonight. As we hear the call to be on our guard against all coveting, desiring instead for the sake of Jesus what is right in light of God's grace for us in Jesus. We're looking tonight at the calling of Christ to guard against all coveting. The Tenth Commandment is often seen as a kind of summary to the other nine, simply because it speaks to the inner root of what motivates us. The heart, what we do for the good or the bad, the desires of our heart. Coveting, as we see even in this passage, is very closely connected to other vices. Envy, greed, even worry. Coveting certainly stems from the heart. An evil inclination is nurtured and it matures. Coveting then sets its desire upon something that rightfully belongs to another or upon something so badly wanted that a person loses a sense of balance and order and priority or propriety. So as we're looking at this idea of coveting, we're going to spend a lion's share talking in that first point about being on our guard against all coveting but then also spending an important piece, though, too, about one of the ways that we can avoid this and all of the things that are associated with it, and it has to do with desiring uh, what is right. You know, when we set our desire on uh, unrighteously on something or someone or somebody by coveting, we've gone from the mere desire to the planning out of what we want. When Achan coveted the robe, silver, and gold to which he had no right in Joshua 7, his coveting moved from desire to plan. So from desire to plan to deed. From heart to mind to action. Coveting in that way is is our desires run amok. We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength, but coveting wants to do the opposite. It wants to take the heart and the mind and the strength, but not use it towards the delight in the Lord, but to satisfy the evil desire. Coveting is our desires mastering us in a calculating way. Cain was told by the Lord, Sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you. It wants to master you. But you should rule over it. Christian counsel calls us to rule our desires. And not let our desires rule us. And when desires rule us... Well, that makes for destructive actions and realities, right? Cain makes plans not for anything productive, but to meet Abel in the field. Jezebel schemes against Naboth because he hears that Ahab, his her husband's, pouting and and he's not able to get what he wants from Naboth, and so Jezebel, as an arm of Ahab, that way. Uh, schemes against Naboth, Naboth so that he'll lose his land to Ahab, who covets it so deeply. Achan hides the things that he's not allowed to have. Man eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, taking the counsel of the serpent that he thinks adds up. He calculates that disobedience is going to make my life Better it's going to bring greater order to my life. Godlessness is going to make me godly. Godlessness is going to make me like God. Coveting calculates. Starts from the heart. Sets its mind on doing the wrong. And evidently, that's what the brother who wants a share of the inheritance in our passage today, has in mind. He's got a plan. He's calculating. I'll get Jesus to be my advocate and my arbitrator over the inheritance that my brother will not share with me. Perhaps this will be the way I'll get what I believe I have coming to me. And you see, I'm I'm not so interested in justice as I am in getting what I want. Because that's what Jesus detects here. It's a spirit of covetousness, cloaked in justice. Often justice is cloaked that way, isn't it? It, it, Justice is used as as a facade. We're interested in our society for justice. We want what's, again, coming to us. We want what's right. Really? No, oftentimes it's not that at all. What's important to people is not so much justice as it is that they want what they want. Justice is not as important to people the way they make it out to be. And they look so uh, holy that way in in their quests for justice. No, abundance of possessions is much more important. If you think about many litigations today, there is less inclination about justice and more an inclination that if the court rules in my favor, I'll get an abundance of possessions. That's the real plan, oftentimes. That's what life's about after all, isn't it? When you really think about it. It has to do with the abundance of our possessions. That's what life consists of, isn't it? Now I'll have more and you'll have less and I'll have more at your expense but your having less isn't as important as long as I have more. Because after all, he who dies with the most toys wins. If I have more than another person, that makes me more important. That makes me the better person. That makes me the superior individual. Covetousness believes that. Covetousness seeks to find its satisfaction in what it does not at the moment have. Instead of finding satisfaction in what the Lord supplies, in what the Lord gives to those who find their rest and satisfaction in Jesus. It believes that what life is all about is found in the material goods that one can accumulate. And the ritual is a case in point. He believes that life is about the abundance that he has. And he seeks to find peace in that. And so his motivation that he has to build bigger barns is... It's just that. It's just to store it. It's just to live off it. It's just to find peace in what he has. And, and, and life will be great. And yet the rich fool misunderstands himself. He misunderstands his calling to others and his relationship with God. The rich fool thinks he's going to live in body for many years. That's his presumption. And yet God comes and says this very night your life will, your soul will be required of you. He believes that his ample goods are going to satisfy his soul for a long time. And yet his soul is totally impoverished. 12 times in this parable he mentions either me or I in his talk cuz that's all he's thinking about. Me. I. He speaks about the joy of his gain, but he doesn't say anything about the joy of giving. You know, he's misunderstanding himself and his mortality. He's misunderstanding the joy of giving. And regarding the Lord, he never acknowledges him at all as the source of his benefits, nor his need to be rich toward God in generosity. So he has a kind of peace, doesn't he? You know, I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry. This is, this is the good life that's ahead of me. So he has a kind of peace, but it's a false sense of security. His, his delight, his delight was not in the Lord, but in the things that he had. And he's living as if he was going to live forever rather than taking delight in a relationship with God and Christ that will last forever. See, he was caught off guard. He was totally caught off guard. Jesus is saying, be on God for your covetous, covetousness, and, and the rich fool is not. Now, the rich fool had plans, but his plans right, that he's calculating... They messed messed up his life, eternally so. And that's what happens when that spirit of covetousness, greed, envy, worry, is is that which is the master. It it destroys lives and and others' lives. And it just makes a mess. You know, the, the Tenth Commandment says, do not covet a lot of different things, right? Do not covet your neighbor's wife. God didn't give you your neighbor's wife. He gave you your wife, husbands, who, who is to be revered and cherished as a gift that the Lord's given you. And even if you're unmarried, the Lord is, you know, the Lord is standing by your side always. Coveting another spouse just brings huge, huge trouble. Don't covet your neighbor's house or land. Who gave you that, what you have that you've been given? Who's who's watching over your life? Who provided what you have right now? Was it not the Lord? Who knows what you need before you ask Him? Is it not the Lord who provides for the unclean ravens? Close the lilies of the field and the grass that's here today and gone tomorrow. See, coveting just sucks the joy out of life. You don't need to go there. I don't need to go there. Coveting distracts our attention. It misapplies priority. Coveting directs our attention away from our service to the Lord to a selfish self-absorption that can kill us and kill others. Because instead of living in the peace of God's calling to seek his kingdom and his righteousness and serving our Savior, which is really kind of getting into the second point here, uh, trusting Him, believing that the Lord will supply what is necessary so that we can go about doing what the Lord wants us to be doing, we're focusing instead on things. Instead of the Savior. And that's when life becomes a human train wreck for us. We're not at peace with God. We're not at peace with other people. We're not at peace with ourselves. And that's that's a trifecta recipe that's a triple recipe for disaster. We're too busy wanting things and craving things instead of being busy seeking the pleasure of our God. That really is you know, getting us. I'm not there yet, but it, that's really the antidote, isn't it? Get busy with what the Lord wants you to be doing and don't be busy with the things that detract you from that. Now, worry is not far from that covetous spirit, is it? Because our passage so says, "Therefore, in verse twenty-two, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life." This is in connection with what he just said about being on guard of your covetousness. Therefore, don't be anxious, because being anxious about the things the world, uh, being anxious about things in the world that you crave, make, uh, makes you no different than the world. If you're craving that. The Bible says, you aren't any different than the world is that way. Because when we're anxious, Jesus says, we're majoring on minors. Food and clothing. He says, life's more than that. Life isn't about craving. Not even for what we need. God knows what we need. God will take care of the need. He cares for the ravens. He cares for the lilies. He cares for the grass. In Jesus Christ, you mean more to Him than those things. We can use we can we, we can use uh, see how coveting acts as a means of of kind of scratching the itch of our worry. We can use it to soothe our worry, but it won't. It doesn't satisfy the worry because coveting by its very nature is never satisfied it, it never satisfies and it, and it and it's never satisfied right people who are really com, com, professional coveters are never satisfied they're always wanting more and they're never at peace and you could try to you know appease them or placate them He's, Sure you know here have this have that there are you happy no we still have other things we want we want justice right coveting is never satisfied and it never satisfies. The problem with worry is that it has never helped either worry doesn't get you anywhere worry doesn't satisfy it and I'm not saying I don't worry I I'm with you all you know. Wrongly, I shouldn't be. You know, you get you get that way, but it it doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't extend your life. If anything, it diminishes it. Worry is a negative desire, an erring belief that there is no peace to be found because it never gets there. It's always got something else to worry about. It, It. Worry is, is doubt. It's, kind, it's a kind of unbelief. It belongs to the category of little faith. And it veils the truths of God's faithfulness in the past, His promises for the future, and the calling that we have from the Lord today, which is not to worry, but to believe. Not to fret, but to stay focused. A focused desire to put first things first in our lives. And not the mundane things of life, the holy callings of the Lord has set before you. And, and the Catechism puts it well when it says, in light of God's mercy, at all times we hate sin with our whole heart, and, and that's really getting us finally to that second point, that positive point, is that we delight in all righteousness. If we're spending our time delighting in all righteousness, these other things fade away. We're too busy then delighting in the Lord. And if we're busy delighting in the Lord, we don't have time to delight in ourselves, so to speak, in envy and coveting and all the rest. And Jesus put it that way, right? He said, seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, and let me worry about the rest. And all these other things will be added unto you. Focus on what God wants you to be doing. And delight in those things. That's the antidote to coveting, and that's the antidote to worry. He says, sell your possessions, give to the poor. Make giving the priority over gaining. Focus on the rule and righteousness of God. Make the treasure of your life a heavenly one of generosity, and not the earthly one that just seeks to hoard and gather and gain. And that's the end. Somebody else is going to get it at the end anyway. You're not going to be satisfied. Major on what God desires of you. Because when you're busy serving Christ, you're you're just too busy to to covet and to envy and and to worry, and especially under that cloak of justice that people like to carry that all out in. When God is our Father through faith in Christ Jesus, making worries the focus of our lives is unreasonable. It doesn't make any sense when God has promised to fill our needs. God His providence will provide. And He uses means, of course, of various kinds. It includes the sweat of your brow and the work that you do. And when you're busy working, right? It's like I I say that all the time. You turn on a television or you're... You know, we used to. I remember being down in, in Chicago. and maybe shared a story before. We're going down in Chicago and we're we we're with family, or whatever. And then and then there's this whole group of people that are just that are complaining, and you just go, "What do you do for a living? How do you spend your time? I, if you if you're busy working, you don't have time to be doing this." He uses the sweat of our brow and the work that we do as a means by which we are able to be satisfied. But our needs are not to be our focus. God is. One person said we can major on what God desires for us because he's committed. He's committed to our care. God knows of the fragility of his people. He calls them little flock here. But they're his flock. The sheep under his care, like we read in Psalm 95. You may sense that fragility keenly in your life. But again, as one person said, we may be fragile, but God promises to care for us and make us strong. And that's the God that we know in Jesus Christ. That's the God who shows to us how empty and how hollow and useless, foolish and destructive that our, weir- our worry and our envy and our greed and our coveting really are. In Jesus Christ, we have priceless treasure from our God. That's what we confess when we know of that treasure, the indescribable gift for which we are to be thankful, well, that's going to impact our hearts because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Do we worry? Is it is it masking our eyes so that we can't be thankful? And so we can't stay focused and... And so we can't see the treasures the Lord has provided us and that he will in Jesus Christ. Does it breed this uh, covetous spirit of the world that focuses more on, on what is mundane and doesn't last and less on what God desires of us? We need to master our desires to... To guard ourselves against the covetous spirit. To seek God's pardon. We're to be focused on and take pleasure in what pleases our Father in heaven. And we can only do that as somebody who believes that we do possess the treasured care and the salvation of the Father in heaven through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray that that's where our hearts are tonight. Amen. Let's let's respond in prayer. Heavenly Father, tonight again we've had an opportunity to be reminded of the priceless treasure of our Lord and Savior, the Father who knows our needs before we even ask. Remedies, Father, to... Uh, a worldly, covetous, worrisome spirit that sucks the joy out of life. Lord, may we find in our own lives as we inspect them, and as you inspect them, that the meditations of our uh, mouth and, the, and that which is in our hearts may show forth that where our, where our hearts are, are where our treasure is. It's going to be that way. We know one way or the other. But may it be, Lord, in the priceless treasure that you have supplied for us in Jesus Christ, whom you did not spare, but gave him up for us all, and who along with him, you promise, will graciously give us all things in accordance with your glorious riches in Christ. May we be reminded, assured, or maybe for the first time come to believe those very truths so that people would see us too as a people that have been touched by the matchless treasure that Christ brings to us. We pray in the name of Jesus.